so sick of the sweet sock. Hello everybody and welcome back to another episode of Tea Time with Linz. I'm your host, Lindsay. And today's guest is actually a guest we have had on the show before, Kat LaCoey, aka Vixen DeVille. We will be talking about everything Hollywood Fringe, Solo Fest, and creating a solo show. So if that's what you're into, that's what you're looking for, you're at the right place. So welcome Kat LaCoey, aka Vixen DeVille. So welcome back to the show, Kat Lakoi, aka Vixen Deville. How are you doing? I am doing really well. Thank you for asking. <laughs> um, I'm really excited because last time I interviewed you, I think I'd watched your show, uh, your solo show online. Yes. And since then, I've seen it in person. And it yeah. was, you know what? It just was so inspiring. And it just... I just I was really happy I was so happy just to be there and you're going to be doing it again at Solo Fest so yes I'm so exciting March 11th when's your show I can't remember when your show is so mine is January 15th yes she gave me two date options and I know you said to go with the later one the latter um but the 15th is my brother's birthday who and he's no longer here yeah I actually speak heavily about my brother in my show so I was just like oh I'm gonna do on the 15th it's his birthday so I was just like fuck it like whatever yeah I did it I did my show when I did it during fringe one of the dates was the like anniversary of the surgery that I had so it was like (gasps) oh it was like exactly two years to the date sort of thing and like you know when yeah when those things happen you're just like "Mm," you know (laughs) I feel like that's happened to me before as well but I don't remember why so basically I wanted to have you back on the show so thanks for coming back on um but I wanted specifically to talk to you about, because you obviously did your solo show. Now that I've seen it live as well, mm-hmm. I wanted to just hear about your approach to doing a solo show. Just for anyone, like, because last uh, podcast session I had was Matt Quinn. He was talking about everything Hollywood Fringe, yeah, uh-huh. which was actually really interesting to me as well, because I want to go and redo Fringe, because like, mm-hmm. la- last time was basically a big workshop for me. Mm-hmm. So this time I'm like, okay, this is my Fringe. Um, but I just wanted to hear how your process was with putting your show together because it's a two-hour show. Yeah, it's hit, it's hitting two hours now. Um, when I did Fringe, I don't think it was quite, I think it was maybe an hour and a quarter. I didn't want to hit it. Um, I got a venue where they gave you a two-hour block. So you had, I think I had a quarter of an hour to get in, an hour and a half of show and a quarter of an hour to get out. And I knew it was going to run more than an hour. So I knew I needed at least a space that would give me an hour, uh, more than an hour to perform. And that my get in and get out was going to be involved because I had all my stuff. And and that's the main thing is that Fringe are very much like, keep it simple, K-I-S-S, keep it simple, stupid. And they're like, you know, use a minimal amount of props, use a minimal this, use a minimal that. But the show I wanted to do, I knew needed all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's not that I was, because their thing is like, oh, if you're telling a story, you can tell it in a black box wearing a black outfit and the audience can use their imagination. But for me, because I'd already, like I'd already created most of the acts, the fire act, the glass walking act, the finale act, the aerial hoop act, I'd, I'd pretty much already created and had costume for. And I knew that I wanted to have the sword box. And so I need those swords. I need the aerial hoop. I need, like, I needed all those things to tell the story. It wasn't just fluff. So I think I had the belief in myself that A, I'd produced theater before 
and that I had already created and sourced half of the props and costume that I needed. Um, and then all the, the projection stuff, um, that was there because I needed to do the, co- the costume changes and have that little and have that storytelling from the interviews. So I, while I was listening to everybody when we started Fringe and they're going, don't overuse projections, don't overuse. And I'm sitting there going, Oh my God, my, my show is doing all of these things. I had to really sit with myself and be like, thank you for the advice. But I know A, I can do it and B, that it's necessary. Yeah. Um, so when I first, first started Fringe, I think my main thing was it's a solo show. I need help because I'm the sort of person who loves to be like, I'll do all the things. I'll do everything. I'll do, I'll work the front of house and I'll do that and I'll do, and I'll do the show. Maybe. And I was like, no, you cannot because you need to be the person on stage telling the story. You need a community around you. So I knew that I, I had decided to do the show in like Christmas, January ish. I was back uh, visiting home, uh, back in England and like two o'clock at nighttime. I was like, I'm finally going to do my show. Had been thinking about doing it for three or four years. So it mulled around my head for a while. Yeah. A lot of the material I'd sort of developed doing different acts and things, a story I hadn't quite got down. Um, and I thought I need a reason to do the solo show. Oh, Fringe's applications are open. I'll do it as part of Fringe. I'll be supported. I won't just be a show floating around in the ether. I'll be part of something bigger than me. Um, so I applied and I was like, great. I've got now from January until July to get my shit together, uh, which was like six months, I guess. So yeah, I something thought- like that. Something like that. Yeah. So I thought the most I can get done to start with and get off my plate so that I can then be available to do everything else was kind of my approach. So I first started with what's my branding? What's the show name? What's the show poster? Um, as soon as I can start talking about the show, the more buzz I'll get about it. So if I have decided to do this in January, if I can now start mentioning it and talking about it and leading people to either a website or a posting somewhere, like I, I need to get that in, in place first. So that was my approach was like, what's my logo? What's the show called? What's the poster look like? What's the poster image? What's the blurb? Get that out there. Decide what it is first before I've even written it, you know? So, <laughs> so that was that's such a unique approach. Mm-hmm. That's it's really interesting because uh I think because says- I I had when I did the application for Fringe, it said, what's the name of the show? And I was like, I don't know. (laughs) But it said you could change it later on. I was like, well, I'll just change it later on. So I wrote this very, it was Vixen DeVille Revealed. Originally, when I thought three years ago about what the show would be, it was was going to be called Vixen DeVille Descends. And it was supposed to be that she was coming down from like this all other planet and universe, coming down to like the, to earth and humans to sort of, uh, uh, demonstrate all of her you know unearthly skills and the fact that when you're in the room with her you have those skills too so there was still the element of I'll teach people to eat fire on stage I'll teach people to walk on broken glass on stage and it was this vibe of I want to have people unlock their superhuman potential on stage mm-hmm. and this is why vixens come to earth is to be like I'm amazing but you are too so that's sort of a, I'm amazing you are too which is kind of how the show ends <laughs> spoiler um <laughs> is <laughs> It was was the original sort of idea. So I just changed it to Vixen DeVille Revealed because it's like, here's Vixen, but here's the truth behind her. And there's a lot of alliteration. That makes sense. And then my little blurb that was, it was like, fire circus, something, something, fire circus, magic, burlesque, and a few home truths. British actress Kat LaCoe reveals the the truth behind her burlesque persona, Vixen DeVille. 
I just wrote that at like two in the morning. And I think it's still what the actual description is now. Um, and I think what I added was the advice I'd been given was give the audience an idea of how they'll feel after the show because they don't care about what the story's about or what like they they care if it's like what the subject is like is it about traffic human trafficking is it about uh is it funny is it comedy is it is it is it dark but what they want to know is how am i going to leave how am i going to leave the theater yeah, so i yeah. put in that little thing about um well is guaranteed to leave you um oh something inspired and and uh like Happen, like like you've enjoyed like f- up uplifted and inspired or something like that so i thought that kind of gives you an idea there's burlesque there's magic there's circus there's storytelling and you'll leave feeling amazing and inspired that sounds like i kind of want to go and see that show so then it was like I, this show could be anything <laughs> when i write the show it could literally be anything <laughs> no that's really inspiring it's so funny how because for some reason i thought you'd had this show before even though we'd spoken about it on my last podcast when i saw your show it seems like such a well-oiled machine and it feels like you've done it so many times. Like you are just so slick. And when I saw you in person, I was like, she has this down. No one can throw her off. Like, I feel like somebody said something from the audience and it wasn't, they weren't meant to say it. And you just had a comeback and it was like, boom, boom, boom. And I'm like, she's fucking down. This is such a, so it's, now looking back i'm so surprised that fringe like my show was like the catalyst for you to actually get your solo show in the first place because to me i'm like oh she's been doing this for years and years and years and it's like well, perfect piece of theater it's it's kind of like when you see new breakout star in hollywood yep. or like someone on america's got talent oh they've just been discovered mm-hmm. but it's like they've been doing it for years and yeah i've been doing burlesque for 15 years I've been hosting live shows interacting with an audience for at least maybe 12 so when someone heckles like when I'm in that situation where it's not necessarily a monologue but it's me chatting to the audience Mm -hmm. that like I do that weekly it's like just me you know being being vixen doing my thing so it's more the sort of this more serious monologue sections that were more alien to me even though again I've been acting since I was 10 I've been performing on stage since like 15 um but performing a monologue um that is very personal and just knowing treading that final because I didn't have a director so treading that fine line between when do I really hit the emotion of this line home and when do I look at this emotion of what's happening but almost laugh at how silly it was for me to have felt so sad in the moment or do I really get angry in that moment about how I felt in that like it's I've played so I think the one you saw is the is the, the my favorite version of the show I think previously there's some sections of monologue where I've just been like and the fun and the thing happened and that's how I felt whereas now I'm a bit like and the thing happened and that's how I felt and that's how it was and it's kind of a bit more play down yeah so that's that's been the, the 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 journey since when it first um happened in fringe and to what you see now um the the delivery has cha- i've played with the delivery a little bit and i've played with really what needs to be said to the audience and i've cut some lines out and changed some lines over and what's really interesting is that the um the, the section with the aerial hoop i'll be vague about it because people should come and see the show um it almost wasn't in the show because when I was writing it, 
I kind of did a vague outline of I'll start with Vixen on a pedestal. Like, where is she now? Or what's what's the vision people have of Vixen? Then I'll go back to, well, actually, she's not like that. She's actually, I'm actually this. And here's my progression. I started here then. And then I'll go through all the acts that I created as I started. So my very first story, then the box trick, then I met, fi- then I found fire, then I found glass. And I was like, oh, do I do Ariel? Because I'd had the injury. And I was like, I can't really do Ariel because I'm freaking injured. Um, I'll just do the the self-celebration thing at the end. And then as I started getting back out of my injury, I was like, maybe I can perform Ariel. And actually, this is a really good excuse to do some Ariel without people expecting me to be good at it because I can just tell them that I'm injured. And yeah. this is my first time being on the hoop since um, since I was injured. And, uh, and when I was cutting it down because it was running over too much, I was like, is that whole section just a whiny self like pity bit? I think it's too. Let's just cut that whole thing out. It's pointless. And then when I performed it, I was like, "Oh my gosh, cat! That's like the whole crux of the show." It's, it's, it's so funny as well. You say that because, like, so before I even started doing my show, I exactly what you just said about the whole self-editing and do I need to put this bit? And it's whiny and blah, 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 blah. That's yeah. what I was doing before I'd even started writing my show because I was just like, and I did a, a draft of my show, sent it to my friend, and she was like, this isn't, this is, this is fine, but this isn't, this isn't what you're going to be talking about. Yeah. What you're going to be talking about is like, and then she kind of like, you have to go to the places that you don't want to go to. And yeah. so when you, I saw you do that, I got like chills. So when you, you're talking about your shoulder injury, mm. don't want to give too much away because people do need to go and see this, but then you do add the aerial section in. I just sat there and got like a bit misty eyed. I got like chills yeah. and I'm just like, do you know what? It's those parts that we try and self edit that yeah. we should never self edit. Yeah. They're the moments that people are like, oh. Because oh god, I can't even. Yeah. <laughs> it's so and it was so it was so crazy when I was rehearsing and it was coming up to July. I thought, am I actually going to be able to do this? This whole show, like, if I go, if I get through this whole thing, that's an achievement. That's a tour de force. That's a like. I, it was almost unbelievable to me that I was actually going to pull the whole thing off. I was yeah. like, I don't, I don't know if maybe I'm going to be able to do this. And then I sliced my finger. I don't know if I can see. Uh, well, you, you're not for recording. I sliced the top of my finger off because I was, I was trying to create like a little uh, tray thing for someone to sell merch on. And I sliced it on my finger and I was like, oh, 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 yeah. it, it was two days before we opened. I was like, um, it's a solo show. I have to perform this by myself. And there's this whole thing about me getting back on the aerial hoop. And I don't know if I can, because my finger's like bleeding the hell. Um, and it literally started bleeding on stage in the middle of a section. And I was like, sorry, guys. Uh, Cause you know, when they smash the hammer with the, the, the bottle with the hammer. Yeah. It sort of knocked my finger. And so the super glue I'd used to hold it back onto itself <laughs> just kind of knocked. So I'm in the middle of this like monologue fun bit. I'm about to bring people on to teach them fire. And part of me is also like, I don't even know I can teach people fire and I've, I'm running out of time and ah, but my finger is bleeding. And I'm like, okay, guys, um, just a quick, quick, quick break from the show. I'm going to go backstage and put a band aid on my finger because I'm bleeding right now. But we'll be back. We'll be back in, we'll be back in 20 seconds. And so I run off. <laughs> And the kitten comes on and is dancing and I tape it back together. I'm like, oh, so when I do the aerial act, I'm about to do the bit where I go upside down. I'm like, I don't think 
I think I might just injure myself again during my <laughs> moment of glory. So let's, I, so I just did a, I did a very tame version of it. And, and at the end of the show, I was like, I cannot believe that happened. Yeah. Like it was just oh. to have got through the whole thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, talking about a, a, a team, I mean, I don't know if, if you want to talk more about developing the show or actually producing at Fringe, what's more. Um, um, well, just one more thing about your show that I will definitely just want to point out as well. So there's a bit where you're talking about like an ex-boyfriend and how just something that he said to you and how that made you yeah. feel and how that spurred mm-hmm. you on. Again, there are so many relatable moments in your show that I feel like speak to so many different people because when you did that, so many people around me were like, Ugh. so many people. And, yeah. Oh, I was say what's what's weird about that moment is that when I first performed the show, that was that was a very true moment that happened, and it's definitely part of the Vixen Deville story. But for me, the most emotional part was the surgery and the aerial hoop because that was most recent. Mm-hmm. Since I first performed it in Hollywood, in, in Hollywood Fringe, I've had another injury and another surgery. <laughs> so oh, it's almost no. like it's almost like the show is talking about like my first baby and the trauma of my first baby. And since then, I've had three others. And so it's like not like you know in my brain anymore. So I did think if I keep talking about the story, is it really going to be as um, hitting home as much? But I've been doing this talk in my sort of motivational speaking world where I go more into that specific ex-boyfriend. And so it was very much like in my head. So even when I first did the show, that moment was more just like, oh, let me tell you this part of the story. The one that you saw, I had just been delivering and writing this other talk that involved that boyfriend. So for me, the aerial stuff was a bit more like, eh, that's just some story. But the boyfriend stuff was a lot more raw that night because I had just, I'd been digging up all that residual anger that was still living in me about it. Um, so I think I may, might have really hit that part a little bit more than previous nights. <laughs> oh, it worked. It's, it was so like, everybody was just like, everybody could relate to that moment as well. But no, so let's, so I feel like, because now we're talking about it, I'm just like, we did actually speak about this a lot in the last episode. So you did Hollywood Fringe. That's actually taken your show onto, it went onto Solo Fest. When was this? Like 2018 was when it was at Hollywood Fringe. And then I was like, I want to do more of this. I want to take it on tour. I want to uh, perform it at more places. And so I started submitting it to festivals that were like drivable because of course I have all of my props. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I won the um, Soaring Solo Artist Award from uh, Jessica Lynn Johnson, which was connected to Solo Fest. So because I won the award in 2018, I then did Solo Fest 2019, but I also got into the, um, which one? Tucson Fringe Festival, which was also January 2019. So I was, I was lucky enough to be able to go, okay, um, did it in July, got extended into June, July, August, then had some time out to sort of prep and promote and all the rest of it. And then in January, I did Solo Fest and I did Tucson. So it was nice to have the two close together rather than like re-rehearse, perform it. Oh, now I've forgotten it, re-rehearse it and perform it. It became a bit more of a um, do the two back to back. And then I did it at the Indiana Fringe Festival. Um, I think it was two nights, no, two or three nights in Tucson. And it was like, I think four nights in Indiana. And that was um, around August time, 2019. So it was all, it was all in 2019 that that all happened. Okay, gotcha. Um, so sorry, I 
want to swing back real quick because you mm. said so you got the extension at the Hollywood Fringe mm-hmm. so what just explain to us what the extension is and how that works yeah so you do fringe and you book in I don't know if I don't know what the the, the situation is or was but I booked in for six shows um I think some some I so I spoke to a magician friend of mine who had been involved in producing fringe or on the board of directors or something and he was like let me sit you down here's how you do fringe so I had him give me a whole like four hours of advice I went to Matt Quinn's um session had all of his so I was just like for six months I am doing fringe like that is it and that's how I ended up doing fringe so well was because it just was my main focus and I just I absorbed all the information all of the advice so his advice had been do six shows because if you just do three you don't really get into the run of it um and if you do any more than six you sort of spread your audience about out a bit too much so do six shows you get a really good run of it you are more likely to make your money back and people the word of mouth passes enough but you don't overstretch your your budget so six shows are what i booked and then i think each venue gives an encore producers award and so any show that they either think well I don't know how they I, I think it's either a show that sold really well or maybe a show that didn't get enough like it's a really good show but didn't get the publicity it deserved or something like that I think each venue is different but they award you the encore producers award and say right now you can book another one two shows even though Fringe is done so that people who missed out on the wonderful show that won the awards or, oh, this show was super, super great, got good reviews, but didn't really get much press, um, they get extended. So I think I had two, maybe three extension dates in August. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. So that makes sense um, because I didn't know any of that. So that's good oh, to know. Yeah. Encore Producers Award. I think I only really knew about it because um, my friend had been fringed the year before, the two years before and had got the award and so it was on my when I started fringe I was very much like what do I want to get out of fringe I think Matt Quinn pushed that idea and I think I learned it from somewhere else of knowing what success looks like because if I go into fringe and I don't know what success looks like I will never know if I was successful so you have to know do you want to get awards do you want to get good reviews do you want to have a sellout show do you want to get extended do you want to make your money back do you not want to make your money back do you, um, do you just want to put the show on and be like, I, at least I got the show up. So people have different like areas of success. So my idea for success, that fringe was not, I want to make my money, but I want to make my money back. I didn't care about making a profit that time. I just wanted to at least make my money back. So I invested a lot of money into the success I wanted, which was I wanted good reviews. So I spent a lot of money by pushing to get reviews. I spent a lot of time going to all the office hours and promoting the show because I wanted to have at least, I wanted a sellout show. So I legit say it's a sold out show. I wanted to get the Encore Producers Award. So I made sure everyone was like, you know, can you please vote for my thingy? Um, and I really wanted to get the extension. I wanted some awards. So I made sure that I sat down and applied for all the awards. So really when you're doing something like this, know what success looks like. So you know where to push your energy and your finances in order to make sure you get the success that you want. That's such great advice for anything. Just for, for anything. Oh Absolutely. I love that. <laughs> just a life what does this right yeah like if you go if you go to on like new year if you have your new year's eve party and you're like 
did I have a good new year or not? Well, you have to know exactly what you <laughs> want to do for new year. Do you want to go out and get drunk? Do you want to meet new people? Do you want to just have some time to yourself? Do you want to get a bubble bath? Do you want to meet, do you want to rekindle old friendships? Do you want to have the best experience ever and like do something you've never done before? Because they all involve different levels of budget and different people and different much planning. So yeah, really decide before we do anything in life. Like yeah. When I do this, why am I doing it? What do I get out of it? And how do I make sure that happens? It's a really good technique for everything. Um, So you did the, you did your show last year. Was that part of Solo Fest last year? The one that I went to see in August? The one, ah, so August was a best of fest. So my um, connection with Whitefire was 2019 was Solo Fest. Mm Mm-hmm. And then they asked me back because it sold out for Solo Fest. They said, do you want to do three more shows once a month, August, September, October? Maybe I did, you know, I did July, August, September, an extra extension on October. So I did once a month for four months. And then I did Solo Fest again. Oh, the reason, so I was going to do the online Solo Fest. I was like, I don't think this is going to go as well online. Plus I'd already filmed it and I was, you know, producing the, the film version of it. So solo fest that you saw the the January of that year in 2000, when was it this year? 2022, I guess it was. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. So it was solo fest's 40th anniversary. So it's like, oh, cool. It's like almost like a, it's our 40th anniversary. Here's the best shows of the solo fests that have gone before us. And I was actually in a position where I thought I kind of want to do the show again. And I have the brain capacity for it. And I had enough notice to do it as well. So I did that solo fest and then there was like a best of fest award. And I think, I don't know how many of us got like from that solo fest 40th anniversary, some of us won the best of fest award and he then offered dates to all those people. So my date was in August. So I was like, yeah, I kind of want to do it again. Um, I had been asked to go up to Seattle to do it in um, Walla Walla, Washington, not Seattle at all in Walla Walla, Washington. (laughs) Seattle's in Washington. I keep thinking I went to Seattle. I didn't. Um, and that had happened before pandemic happened. So I already had been offered for them to buy in the show and take me up there. And then it got canceled. So then they offered me another date, very similar to my solo fest date. So I was like, great, similar thing to what I did before where I went solo fest and then Tucson. I used solo fest as my, let's get back on track. Let's get back and rehearsed up and running. And then we went on a little tour and went and took it up to, um, up to Washington and then I did it again in August. And I keep thinking, oh, it'll be the last time I do it. And I, cause I'm, I'm like, am I outgrowing the show? Have I, have I, um, tapped out my entire audience? But the one I did last year, I was like, you know what? We've had two years of pandemic. That's two years of people who I've met and worked with and trained and have seen my shows who've never seen it. Didn't even know I had a solo show. So I've got that market. Mm-hmm. And then when I did it in August. I was like, oh, oh my God, I have to sell these tickets again. Da, 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 da. But when I do the show, Every time I get so many audience members come up and go, oh my God, it had such an effect on me. And thank you so much for doing this story. And thank you for you've inspired me. And I just go, it's a good show. Like it's, I just wish more people could see it. And I think, you know, maybe like a once a year at Solo Fest is a really cool like timing of, of doing it. And it is just a once a year thing until I either just get bored of it or I write a second one or it becomes no longer relevant but I really want the tv show to finally come out so more people can see it without me having to go on the road and run my own tour of course if someone wants to pay me to take me on tour and like going to sell was fabulous and took the the stress off because I wasn't selling tickets um but yeah it really is as a solo performer solo producer it is really that 
how much do I want to do it again? What does success look like? Why am I doing this? Um, and is it, is it really still doing the job I wanted it to do? And is it still really fulfilling me as an artist, which is, it's still doing all those things. So, so, cause I, so now I have like two questions because I remember the show that I saw, you said that was going to be your last show. And then I saw that you're going to be doing it in solo fest in March, which is great. So I'm like, Oh great. She's going to do it again. Because <laughs> that's great. You should be doing it multiple times um, <laughs> because it is a fantastic show. I do vaguely remember you saying something about TV show, but I wasn't sure if that was like, hush, hush. Are we allowed to talk about that? We can talk about it. It just, uh, I had a production team. So when I got the three dates at white fire that got extended to a fourth date, I had, so when I first did, oh, let's go back. I did Hollywood Fringe. After Hollywood Fringe, I was like, what's the next step? I want to take this on tour. So my brain went taking this on tour. Then it was like, I don't want to keep doing more of the same. Everyone the next year was like, are you doing Fringe again? You're doing Fringe again. I was like, I'm not doing Fringe again. I'm just doing more of the show. It's not about me doing Fringe and it's a different show each year. It's more that I'm doing the show. And each year, each time I do a sh- the show, I want to take it the next step. So first it was fringe. Then it was take it on tour. Then it was, I want this to be a one hour special. Let's do that. Let's let, if I'm going to do the show live again, let's make it one hour special. So I had a production team and this is right before pandemic. And as pandemic kind of started filtering in a lot of the team, I lost, they ended up doing other things. They moved away. Um, it was, it was such a stressful time of it being like, I'm not in control of this anymore because I had, I had relinquished my control by hiring another team. And part of me is like, but I, I couldn't have done it myself. I was not, you know, I, I can produce theater myself. It's my world, but film was not. So since pandemic, it's been clawing back. Okay. Let me replace my editor. Let me replace my producer. Let me replace my um, grading person. And then it was like, oh, we want to add in, because moving it from the theater where you're like, you know, trapped in the theater, <laughs> um, in the world of film, it's, oh, I can, I can change the channel. I can turn off. I can pause it and go and get a, a glass of water. So we changed some of it so that we added some student interviews and we changed the medium a little bit and we filmed some B roll. And, and then it was like, wait, do we want it? Oh, it's, so it's been a bit of a thing. Mm-hmm. And now it's like, so close it's so close but everybody on this team keeps getting something else that's slightly like oh this is dragging me away from it myself included I'll be like oh hang on I can't focus on well like I said when I did fringe I'm doing fringe for six months when I want to take it on tour I am taking this on tour and then when it was I'm gonna make it this tv show pandemic happened a public speaking happened oh this other thing happened building my teaching company happened so it's it's been more that none of us on the team has made it the priority and that um in the last month has kind of changed so yeah you know what it's gonna get back on track and then you're gonna have the space to do it so (laughs) i'm very very excited about the tv show because that's the other thing too is it's like from a small seed that you've had for four years you literally made a show did fringe blew it out the water took a did a tour solo fest it's just like from one idea it's just completely blown up and I'm I want to say I'm really proud of you <laughs> thank you I feel like you've been there for the whole journey of it which is great I mean I've hardly seen you but you've still been there you've still been there in the background and, and witnessed the sort of progression but I really I really think that's the thing is that each time you do something you you make it that little bit better and you do tweak it this way and go, well, what's the next step? Because you can get into a rut. I've been in, in ruts many, many times. 
and you can get comfortable. I remember feeling so worried and so like ecstatically proud of doing the show at Hollywood Fringe. And then when I moved into White Fire Theatre, I'm like, oh, look at the size of this theatre. It is so beautiful and blah, 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 blah. And then when I went on tour, I'm like, oh my God, I'm going on tour and I'm selling tickets in a different town where people don't even know me. And I'm still winning awards and this is amazing. And then when I went to Walla Walla, I'm like, oh my God, it's a two level, three level mezzanine, massive theater. It could basically be the Pantages. Look at me now. And I just kind of never want to just settle at, well, okay, this is like, I want to be able to always yeah. build on it because I could have just been like, oh, White Fire Theater, I'll just keep performing it there, which I have been. But each time it's been, okay, now it's going to be the launch of my book. Now it's going to be my TV show filming. Now it's going to be for a charity or whatever it's going to be. But yeah, I, I've, I've noticed myself stuck in the rut and going, well, this is comfortable. Let's just stay here. And I've known that that has not been conducive to my yeah. existence. <laughs> so I'm more aware of it now. Yeah. Well, you've definitely inspired me. So thank you very much. Yeah. Um, I'm definitely going to do Hollywood Fringe next year. After solo, so I've got Solo Fest, which yours, mine's in January, yours is in March. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do Hollywood Fringe again with the whole success thing that you just said, because this time it's not going to be a workshop. It's going to be a fully fledged show. And then, mm-hmm. like you, I'm planning on taking it on tour. I don't know where, uh, I don't know how. Yes. I want to take it to New York. I'm just like, I feel, do you know what? As a Brit in America, I don't know if you feel this, but do you feel really just lucky that you can take it to all these really cool places in America? Yeah. And I feel like if I took this show back to England, I I don't know if I would get as much of a response because I think the show showing me have a level of success and then a downfall and then back to success, almost like a hero's journey story. Mm -hmm. I think a Brit in LA now, that sort of final picture looks like, wow, this Brit's come all the way from Britain and is now now making it in LA and that's the end of her story. Whereas I feel like if I took it back to London, it's like, yeah, and who cares? Like, I just, I don't know. That's kind of, I don't think I would have as much. I was wondering about taking it to London, actually, and taking it to my hometown, almost like a like full on. I, I could, but again, it's like, I have to yeah. take my thoughts. And I I have know, to take yeah. my, which is why I got into motivational speaking, because I loved the sort of TED Talk vibe of the show sections. And I thought people are responding to this really well. I'd love to package this in a way that isn't, a burlesque show per se and isn't the theater so it can get to more audiences and the message can be heard by more people so again if a big old producer wants to go like I'll take you to Vegas I'll take you to London I'll take you to Australia like I'll go um but yeah it's the the traveling of the show and the the um, logistics logistics absolutely but yeah touring it was so fun and and having that validation of it's not just my friends in the audience in the town that I'm familiar with because yeah. that was fearful when I actually took it on tour I was like oh I'm at, I'm the fish out of the the little what's it called the I'm the, the fish. fish out of water yeah I'm I'm, I'm the big fish in the I'm, I was the, oh, big, fish the, the, you're the big fish in the small pond yeah the small and now I'm the little the tiny fish, fish yeah. in the massive ocean and yeah. oopsies yeah. but that was that was a huge validation and also just a really great time of life um I would definitely say take somebody on tour with you because it's a joint experience and the I have a helper in my show she's like a stage manager she's a stage kitten um it's almost like a pen and teller relationship (laughs) between me and her um in the show and so she came on tour with me and she was launching an album at the time 
So we managed to pick out these different places where, okay, we'll go to this town, I'll do a burlesque show. We'll go to this town, you'll do an open mic. We'll go to this town, you'll do an album launch. We'll go to this show, I'll teach a class. Then we'll do the actual solo show. Then we can go da, 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 up to the next. So, so the solo show was like the skeleton, but the journey in between, we could pitch it out. Like you'll oh, do your so thing. Cool. It was so good. And then it wasn't like me doing this thing and she's coming along for the ride. It was like, we're doing this thing together. And when I was like, let's just cancel. She's like, we're not canceling. And when she was like, maybe we should cancel. Like, we're not canceling. So, <laughs> having that other person to be like, we're doing it <laughs> is really, oh my God, so helpful. Um, because your brain will at times just be like, no, we're canceling this. This is not, this is not feasible. Thank you so much, Kat, for coming on the show again. Um, AKA Vixen DeVille. So thank you. Yes. Thank you so much.